Blog Talk Radio. is obedient. The faith that God gives begets obedience. You see, the faith that God gives includes both the will and the ability to conform to His Word. Welcome to Grace to You Weekend with John MacArthur. I'm your host, Phil Johnson. In The Pilgrim's Progress, the main character sees an entrance to hell even from the gates of heaven. In other words, many who go to hell assume they're headed for heaven. 
thankfully, that doesn't have to be you or anyone you know, because Jesus made the gospel, the way to salvation, abundantly clear. The question is, do you know the gospel Jesus taught? The gospel according to Jesus, that's what John MacArthur examines today on Grace to You Weekend. Follow along now as he begins today's lesson. I want you to have your Bible ready. We will be considering some selected scripture as we discuss in our series on the Lordship of Christ, the matter of the nature of saving faith, the nature of saving faith. There's a faith that's temporary, partial, inadequate. That's different than the faith that saves. John 3:16, the word there, believe, whosoever believes shall not perish. The word believe there is the same word in John 2:24, translated commit. It's something deeper than just believing facts. It's committing one's life, turning from sin, submitting to Christ. And the Spirit of God works it all and produces a changed life. You see, salvation and saving faith is more than wanting forgiveness. It's more than wanting heaven. It's being willing to turn from sin and submit to Christ. Yet, beloved, shockingly, and I say that advisedly, shockingly, there are Bible teachers and preachers in fundamental evangelicalism who do not allow for any connection necessarily between faith and works. And therefore, they are forced to receive as genuine virtually every profession of faith. Because if there's not necessarily a correlation between faith and works, then any profession is a valid one. I believe that if you have faith that saves, that faith perseveres. You say, well, does the Bible teach that? Yeah, it sure does. Listen, for example, oh, I don't even know where to begin. There's so many places. Now I make known to you, brethren, 1 Corinthians 15, 1, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, listen to this, by which also you are saved if you hold fast the word which I preached to you unless you believed for nothing. How clear is that? You're saved if you hold fast. How about Colossians 1, 21? And though you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. In other words, you've been saved. Verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast and never moved away from the hope of the gospel, and if you have not continued steadfastly, conversely, and if you have not continued in the faith, and if you have been moved away from your hope in the gospel, you never saved. Perseverance is a part of God's saving work. He doesn't just secure us by His divine decree. He perseveres by His Spirit in us, in faith. Look at Hebrews. Let's look at a couple of verses there. Turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 2. We'll just jump through it real quick and look at uh, maybe half a dozen scriptures quickly to affirm this in your mind. Hebrews 2, 1, for this reason we pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? 
In other words, the message here is, look, we had better have a salvation from which we do not drift or we will not escape the judgment of God. Why? Because if we drift away from what we once believed, we are headed for judgment, and that is evidence that never were we saved to begin with. Chapter 3, verse 14. This is so clear. For we, and I love this, verse 14, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until what? The end. 4.14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Chapter 6, verse 11. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and endurance inherit the promises. Chapter 10 and verse 34, again, same concept. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and an abiding one. Don't throw away your confidence. You have need of endurance, and you will receive what was promised. Verse 36. In the meantime, a little while, verse 37, he who is coming will come and not delay. And all the while... My righteous one shall live by what? Faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction. Here it is. But of those who have faith to the persevering of the soul. Hebrews 10:39. Hebrews 12:14. This is so plain. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification. That's the set-apartness, the godliness, the virtue without which no one will see the Lord. All who see the Lord will be sanctified. 2 Timothy 2.12 says, If we endure, we shall also live with Him. We shall reign with Him if we endure to the end. The faithfulness of God is a blessing to loyal, enduring believers. But look at the second half of 12. If we deny Him, He'll deny us. See, if we endure, we'll reign. If we deny Him at any point, our faith dies. It never was there to begin with. It was a sham faith, a dreamy faith, a false faith. He'll deny us. If we are faithless, He'll be faithful. What does that mean? The idea of His faithfulness there has to do with judgment has to do with judgment. We may be faithless, but he'll be faithful to his promise to judge the faithless. That's what it means. If we endure, we reign. If we deny, he denies us. We may be faithless. That is, we may not keep our promise, but he will keep his. Beloved, it is in the nature of saving faith that when God gives that faith, he sustains that faith. And if there comes a point in time when a person ceases to believe, the faith was never the faith that God gives. Now, let me say something to you, one more thought in general. Get this thought, will you? Because when you say to people, saving faith involves repentance and commitment to Christ, they're going to say, well, you're adding works. It's nothing but believe. Only believe, the song said. Remember that song, only believe, only believe. That's all it is. And if you add anything, you're adding works. 
But the fact is, far from championing the truth that human works have no place in salvation, that modern easy believism has made faith itself a holy human work. Why do I say that? Because it is fragile and temporary. It may or may not endure. And that is not true of that which God gives. You see that? So that is a salvation by works, which a man may do and then not do at his own whim. But if you believe that salvation is by God's grace and that God grants that faith, then the faith that God grants is not temporary, it is enduring, and it is not subject to the whim of a man. There is no more reason to believe that a man living the Christian life could cancel out his God-given faith than that a man could have generated it in the beginning to be saved. If it is from God, it is divine. If it is from God, it is enduring. And easy believism does not save the gospel from works. It becomes a works salvation by which a man gives and takes his faith at his own will. That's not biblical faith. To say one may have it at the moment of salvation as a gift of God, but chuck it any time he wants does not make sense. That denies God's work. It denies that God is the one who gives and sustains the grace that makes faith endure. Now, let me give you just a couple of things to keep in mind. A definition of saving faith. Very simple. One, it is a gift from God. It is a gift from God. In Ephesians 2, you know it, 8 and 9, by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God not of works, that no one should boast. Faith is a gift of God. Now, what is the gift of God here? Some say it's faith. Some say it's not faith. The Greek scholar B.F. Westcott says the gift of God is the saving energy of faith. Others feel you can't take that in the Greek because what you have here is a neuter and a feminine For example, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Faith is feminine in gender. And that is neuter. So you can't use a neuter pronoun to define a feminine substantive. And so some would feel more comfortable with saying that must embrace the whole act of salvation. Fine. Wonderful. Do you know what is part of the whole act of salvation? You are saved by grace through faith. That, not of yourselves. So if you want to take it to be all-encompassing, the grace, the faith, the salvation, the whole thing is a gift from whom? From God. I feel comfortable with that view. It embraces the whole thing. Either way, faith is included. Jesus said to Peter, verse 17 of Matthew 16, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. What is he saying? Peter had just said, Thou art the what? The Christ. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is a confession. That is a saving confession. And Jesus says to him, You didn't get that from flesh and blood. My Father gave you that faith. 
My Father gave you that revelation. It is the Father God who enables anyone to believe. Man locked deeply in the deadness of his own sin could not generate his own faith. John 6:44 No one can come to me implying in faith unless the Father who sent me draws him. Verse 47 Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. Those two verses come together to say the Father gives you faith. The Father draws you by eliciting your faith. It's a gift of God. It can be no less than that. For fallen nature cannot generate faith in God. Sometimes you hear people say that faith is a natural thing. It isn't. Natural faith can't save you. Supernatural faith can. It comes from God. Listen to verse 16 of Acts 3, Peter preaching. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man he had just healed, whom you see and know, listen to this, and the faith which comes through him, that is Jesus Christ, has given him this perfect health. You know why that man was healed? Because he believed. You know where he got the faith? From whom? From Christ. This faith which comes through him. Him, capital him. The Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.29, to you it has been granted to believe. Isn't that great? It's a gift of God. You can't do it on your own. It's sovereignly given. 2 Peter 1.1, Simon Peter, a bondservant apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received faith of the same kind as ours. Peter knew faith was a gift. To those who have received faith have the same kind as ours. That's who he's writing to. Faith is a gift from God. Secondly, it's permanent. As a divine gift, it is neither transient nor impotent. It is permanent. It is not something God gives and takes away. It is not something man conjures and then loses. Why? Romans 1.17, the righteous man shall live by what? faith. He goes on living by faith. God continues to grant that persevering faith. True faith cannot die. It is a gift of God. It is permanent. Galatians 3.11 says the same thing. The righteous man shall live by his faith. Hebrews, I think it's chapter 10, isn't it? Verse 38. We mentioned it a moment ago. Yes, and my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he's the one who shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. He's not one of mine. Do you remember Philippians 1, 6? I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will what? Perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, saving faith is obedient. The faith that God gives begets obedience. You see, the faith that God gives includes both the will and the ability to conform to his word. That's right. For it is God, Philippians 2.13, who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Isn't that wonderful? When God saves you, he gives you a faith that he energizes, that has the ability and the will to obey. Paul says in Romans 6, it's so wonderful that when you were saved, you took yourselves from being servants to sin, and by God's grace, you have now become the servants of righteousness. Obedience. Obedience proves faith. 
You see, faith and faithfulness are not substantially different concepts to the first century Christian because the word was used interchangeably. You look in your concordance, look up faithfulness and faith, and as you see those, you'll note, if you have any kind of Greek source, that that uses the same word. Faith and faithfulness go together because what you believe dictates how you obey. If you have faith, you're faithful to the faith you have. So it's a gift. It's permanent. It's obedient. And finally, another element of saving faith, and I'll just close with this, it's humble. It's humble. For this, you need only look at the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Goes on to talk about poverty of spirit, brokenness, repentance, sorrow, meekness, hunger, thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those persecuted for righteousness' sake. You see, now watch this carefully. True faith begins in humility and in brokenness and in sorrow and in repentance and in poverty of spirit, and it ends in obedience and endurance. It's humble. Saving faith is like that of the little child. If you don't come to me, Jesus said in Matthew 18, 4, as a little child, you can't enter my kingdom. It's humble, obedient, permanent, and it's a gift from God. You didn't stir it up. God gave it to you. And he sustains it. And people who cling to a memory, to a salvation based upon a memory of an emotional feeling sometime in the past, but lack love for Christ and lack a deep desire to obey him, don't belong to him. People who don't believe, no matter what the past was, aren't saved. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. May God grant you a true saving faith, a permanent gift that begins in humility and brokenness over sin and ends up in obedience under righteousness. That's true faith. You're listening to Grace to You Weekend, featuring the Bible teaching of John MacArthur. Today he continued his current series titled The Gospel According to Jesus. Well, there's no doubt this series touches on a controversial topic, like a few other well-known Grace to You studies. We've had a few that have been controversial, like the doctrines of grace and the battle for the beginning. But this debate, this debate is unique, whether the debate is over the nature of saving faith or the character of God or creation and evolution. There is always an underlying issue that's even bigger, and that is the authority and sufficiency of Scripture. That's really often what's being debated, isn't it, John? Yeah, and, and if you if you ask me a simple question, what is at the foundation level of your ministry? I would say my view of Scripture. Right. I believe in the inspiration, inerrancy, and therefore authority of every single thing in the Scripture. Not only do I believe that, but I believe it is sufficient for everything that God wants to accomplish in the life of a person. Yeah, you're the uh, first Bible teacher I ever heard mention the sufficiency of Scripture. You said this is a doctrine that's historic, and that forced me to go and look it up, and I found out, you're right, this is a, one of the one of the core doctrines that sort of came out in the Protestant Reformation. Yeah, and, and the reason I introduced it at the time that I did was because psychology— had made such an encroaching inroad into the church that yeah. people were actually saying you can't start being sanctified with the Bible. You've got to start with psychology. Right. I was appalled to hear that. And, and at the time, I wrote a book called 
Our Sufficiency in Christ. You will, of course, remember that book. Right. And I remember the publisher saying, you know, you're, I don't know if we can publish this this way. We might have to edit this because you're going to make a lot of Christian psychologists really mad. And we published some of those Christian psychologists. And I said, look, what, what did the world do? What did the kingdom of God do before Freud? Right. What was everybody lost and hopelessly trying to find the entrance to sanctification, but since there was no door of psychology, they didn't find it? I mean, this is ludicrous. So, yeah, I've always been concerned for the church to understand that Christ is sufficient and his word is sufficient. It's kind of the principle that underlies every major conflict you've ever been engaged Absolutely. in. And that's why it's going to be the theme of uh, our conference later this year. Talk right, about and that, that. that gets me to talk about the Truth Matters Conference on the sufficiency of Scripture. It is sufficient for everything. It's all we need in the hands of the Holy Spirit. This third Truth Matters Conference is October 16 through 18. It's going to be at Grace Community Church in Southern California. We're going to celebrate 50 years of this ministry. We're going to have great music. I'm going to be preaching. Phil is going to be preaching world-class music, fellowship. Registration begins in a few days, and I know there's going to be a kind of a rush. So check out our website, gty.org, for all the details. Join us October 16 to 18 for the Grace to You Truth Matters Conference at Grace Community Church. And now, if you want to make sure you're one of the first in line to register, I would encourage you to sign up for our Truth Matters email list. We'll send you an email on the very day registration opens, so you'll be one of the first to know. You can sign up for that at gty.org. Get in touch today. That website I mentioned, gty.org. Learn more about the speakers and the schedule for the conference, and you can sign up for the Truth Matters email list. The date's one more time, October 16th through 18th, 2019, and our web address again, gty.org. Also, earlier today, John mentioned a book he wrote titled, Our Sufficiency in Christ. In that book, John argues that if you're a believer, you can trust God's Word and the work of Christ to provide for every spiritual need you have. This book will help you better understand just how completely God provides for His children. You can purchase the book, Our Sufficiency in Christ, at gty.org. That's gty.org. And now for John MacArthur and the entire Grace to You staff, I'm Phil Johnson. Keep in mind, you can watch Grace to You television Sundays on DirecTV Channel 378. That's NRB-TV. Or you can watch online at gty.org. And then be back here for our next broadcast when John's going to continue his study on the gospel according to Jesus with a look at the blessings and the costs that come with following Christ. Join us as we continue celebrating 50 years of unleashing God's truth one verse at a time on Grace to You Weekend.
Starting point matters. This is Ken Ham, an Aussie transplant living in America, sharing the truth of God's Word. What you believe about the past matters. It forms your starting point for interpreting the evidence in the present world. Now take climate change, for example. Some people begin with the idea that the Earth is millions of years old and the temperature has had gradual changes in the past. So in this view, climate change is alarming and it's likely modern man's fault. But if we start with God's Word, we have a different starting point for looking at the Earth's past. The Earth was created recently with a very good climate. But over 4,000 years ago, there was a catastrophic global flood that totally changed the climate. The Earth is still actually settling down from the flood and its aftermath. Listen to this program again or view a complete transcript at AnswersRadio.com and subscribe to receive daily email insights from Ken Ham when you visit AnswersRadio.com. We kick it old school. 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 Come on, come on, don't miss the latest craze. Hit it for a minute, then it's on to the next phase. Easy come, easy go, the marketers will hack it. The only change that comes.
Climate change, it's real. This is Ken Ham, the CEO of the ministry behind the popular Answers Bible curriculum. I've been called a climate change denier many times over the years, but that's absolutely not true. Nearly all creation scientists know there's plenty of observational evidence that climates change now and have in the past. For example, people used to farm in Greenland. What we do deny are the assumptions behind many of the claims of climate change alarmists. Many of these assumptions rely on a belief in an old earth. Now, in a biblical worldview, just a few thousand years ago, there was a global flood. This catastrophe radically changed the globe and climate. Noah's flood brought on the Ice Age. Our climate is still settling down from the flood and its aftermath. Plan your visit to our world-class Ark Encounter Christian-themed attraction when you go to AnswersRadio.com and learn more about science and the Bible at AnswersRadio.com.
the science really settled? This is Ken Ham, author of the new eye-opening evangelism book, Gospel Reset. I often hear the claim that the science is settled when it comes to man-made climate change. Now, the science is settled that climates have changed and are changing. Virtually no one disagrees with that. But what or who is causing this climate change? You know, thousands of scientists have added their names to lists stating that they don't agree that man is the main cause. Many of these same scientists also don't believe that there's a climate crisis. And certainly, there's no consensus among scientists about who or what is causing climate change or how bad it is. So how should Christians understand and respond to climate change? Well, we'll keep discussing that all this week. Want to learn how to read the news through the lens of a biblical worldview? Visit our website at AnswersRadio.com. You'll be equipped and encouraged at AnswersRadio.com. Yeah. 
Time to look for a new home? This is Ken Ham, author of several books and web articles on apologetics and evangelism. Are we in danger of destroying our planet forever? Well, climate change alarmists tell us that it's definitely due to man-made activity. The carbon dioxide emissions are causing climate change. They say we may need to look for a new home on a different planet, but we need to examine the evidence behind these sensational claims. Now, while carbon dioxide is a greenhouse gas, researchers show it's not really a significant one. Naturally occurring water vapor is responsible for most of the greenhouse warming, and it keeps us from freezing. And so some studies suggest climate change is actually caused naturally by things such as sunspot activity. Tomorrow, we'll discuss the Bible's connection to climate change. Plan your visit to the Ark Encounter and enjoy three decks of exhibits, a zoo, beautiful grounds, and much more. Learn more when you visit our website at AnswersRadio.com. Oh, oh, I'm gonna fly away, I'm gonna fly away someday. Oh, oh, I'm gonna fly away, I'm gonna fly away.
Responding to Climate Change. This is Ken Ham, a speaker and writer on apologetics with a passion for God's Word. This week we've learned that many of the claims from climate change alarmists are based on assumptions of an old earth. But since we at AIG study science from a biblical perspective, we've reached different conclusions. The earth's young, and it was radically changed by a global flood. So starting with the Bible, there's no climate crisis. So how should we respond? Well, we need to be good stewards of the earth God has entrusted to us. But this doesn't mean we need to make the radical changes suggested by alarmists. Instead, we need to do good research that starts from a biblical worldview. And we must recognize our climate was designed by our Creator. Discover how to think biblically about the issues of our day when you go to AnswersRadio.com and listen to this program again or many others at AnswersRadio.com. Service. 
this immaculate purchase. He was smashing the serpent, and we only scratching the surface. He proceeded was conceived in the womb of a virgin. The sun emerges in the manger while the angels serenade him. It's the birth of the Savior. The greater I am became a man, came as a lamb, and would be executed to execute the plan to substitute the sand. In the place of the wicked on the cross, he was lifted, but we considered him stricken and afflicted, just like the prophets predicted. He came at the proper moment to stop his opponent and lay down his life to offer atonement. He's the most magnificent, the total antithesis of insufficient, the blessed, the glorious, splendid, transcendent, difficult to comprehend, independent of space and time, but presently present, suspending the heavens with speech. From coast to coast, he speaks peace to wind and seas, got heavenly hosts, easily posted on bended knees, controls the cosmos with the most authority, so we both in a most exalted King Christ Supreme. He's the sovereign thriller, the awesome healer, the law fulfiller, the solemn killer, the fraud revealer, no God is realer, yeah. When you're taking your time with the scripture, put the gate is a prominent picture. See his light shining bright in the night and it's frightening the might and the diamond mixture. See his name at all the renown, though. When he came for the loss that he found, though, he was tamed and floss all around, but remained for the manger, the cross, or the crown. Yo, Satan had a trip hold on him. Fight for the rope, but doping in. All to the eyes of the S to the E to the N, that's what we hoping in. Risen on his spell check, the risen king can rinse clean the most rebellious. I was hell bound, now I'm spellbound. Word is born. I'm a born servant to the word of life. Uh, call me a sellout. I was bought with a price. We got a hope that won't fail us when we return to the dust. We will rise up just like the one who justified us. It's not wishful thinking when the truth's sinking. We are clinging to the promises that God bringing an everlasting kingdom. Nothing can compare to the worth of what we inherited. Nothing in heaven on earth can measure what Christ merited. The skies declare the affairs of his glorious care. The God who is there, who's aware, who delights in our prayer. His purposes are permanent and perfectly Proportionate, everything that orbits around his glory subordinate. He is the most excellent one, intrinsic, infinite son, preeminent the name, par excellence, prenom, phenomenon. He's beyond phenomenon, you see, the fiber of cosmology, the abba of astronomy. He's part of we, a pottery, it's shocking Jesus died for me. The father, he adopted me and constantly provides for me. Whether or not I got degrees, you gotta see his odyssey. From sovereignty and lottery to poverty and robbery to resurrected bodily apocalyptic prophecy. He's stopping all the mockery and scholarly snobbery that don't acknowledge him properly. You ought to be on bended knee before the preeminent. It's awfully arrogant to reject him to your detriment. Study the development from Old to New Testament. You'll find a theme that's prevalent from age to age. It's relevant. Crisis on its center stage. Forget religious sentiments that center on man. But something less is what you're settling. He is the most excellent. Exercising benevolence and blessing a remnant with the benefits of his inheritance. Yeah. The sin of sinners that separated and segregated that severed the relations between man and his maker and placed Christ on his costly cross and compensated his life death and resurrection emancipated and gave us freedom from it all freedom from the effects of the fall freedom from adam and eve in the garden of eden and from the law so the saints stand and applaud his grace and glorious cause with hands raised praising his name singing glory to god <laughs> How can we do wear blended fabrics? 
Uh, How come we don't have fences around our rooftop? Why do we eat pork? Well, it's because we understand this genre. So there are three ways to determine which laws, if any, apply to us. And here's the three ways. The first is that the law is separated into three categories, moral, civil, and ceremonial. We say the moral applies, but there's a problem with this. Uh, The Old Testament just doesn't make that distinction. Now, you can hold on to any one of these three. I'm not sure any of them are totally perfect, but just be mindful that when the author of Hebrews is saying that the Old Covenant is gone, he doesn't say just the ceremonial part. He's saying 8 through 10, this thing is gone. This thing is gone because he doesn't seem to make those distinctions. It can be helpful I'm not persuaded that's the best way to understand Old Testament law. Number two, all of the Old Testament laws are in place unless the New Testament repeals it. Now, that's a little bit tricky when it comes to farming and clothing because those rules are not repealed in the New Testament. All the rules about how you're supposed to farm, taking time off, seven years, 50 years, giving the land a break, um, those things are not ever repealed in the New Testament third option, and this happens to be the one I hold to loosely, but nevertheless, none of the Old Testament laws apply unless the New Testament reiterates. That's how I think we deal with these laws. They're gone. We, we, don't, we aren't under that law. We're not under the law anymore. We are under grace. Now, you feel a little queasy about that. What a, Wait a second, what do I do with all of those things? Well, you rightly understand what they were written, where they were written for, and you really take it law by law, not section by section, to figure out the principle that carries forward to our day. So, thou shalt not murder, we're not under the Mosaic law, which contains the Ten Commandments. But does that mean we get to murder? No. Why not? Well, it's reiterated elsewhere in the Bible, whether it's with the covenant people or not. Second of all, we know that that's a principle that God has for all time. So we're not done. We're not unhitching from the Old Testament at all. There is much to be learned about Jesus Christ. There is much to be learned about the character and the nature of God. We see this progressive unfolding revelation. We just need to make sure that we are handling these laws rightly. Those are three ways to handle the law, and it's debatable which is best. Figure out your own and... I wouldn't call you a heretic. Once again, that's from Wretched. You can find out more out there at wretched.org, W-R-E-T-C-H-E-D dot O-R-G. And now we're going to do another one from Wretched. This is called, Why Doesn't God Save Everybody? Here on Trippy Tori. I'm just wondering about what are the parameters to get into heaven? Just Perfection. simple. Perfection? Yes. So is there anybody in heaven right now? Yes. And they were perfect? No. Okay. I'm just answering your question. Okay. So the parameters to get into heaven are perfection. Correct. There are people in heaven. Yes, ma'am. But nobody's been perfect. Correct. How's that possible? Grace. Okay. All right. Here's how it works. This This is the gospel in a nutshell. We are not good. Nobody does good. Nobody's perfect. We all fall short of God's standard. We all justly deserve his temporal and eternal punishment. 
We live under the wrath of God because he's holy, righteous, and just. And when we see somebody who's a violent mass murderer and we think that they should get what what they got coming to them, that's exactly how God feels, but a whole lot more. Because he doesn't like lying or stealing or cheating or dishonoring parents, taking his name in vain. God is going to settle the score, and he's going to give everybody what they have earned for themselves. We've broken his laws. All we have earned is punishment. Okay. So. Okay. Um, well, let me, let me, let me just wait, indulge you just for 30 okay. more seconds. Go ahead. All right? But God is rich in mercy, and he desires to save sinners, but he can't just forgive it and pretend those things didn't exist because then he would be unjust, and he's not. So his plan from eternity past was to send his son in human flesh to be a representative for you, to take the punishment you deserve, to take all of the righteous deeds that he did his entire life, credit them to your account if you will repent and put your trust in his son. He will forgive you because he makes you perfect in Christ. So my whole thing is that many people in the world in history before Jesus Christ and presently will never meet a Christian and they will never know about this religion. So there are wonderful people who are Muslim, who are Buddhist, who live in tribes all around the world. They will not know Christianity in the sense that you've, in your privilege, been able to know Christianity in this way. So I need to know if accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior is the parameter to have an afterlife, a good afterlife, what do you as a Christian believe happens to all the souls that never knew Jesus? I, you know, it's a great question, and it's one of the harder questions. Okay. okay, because I can't really be with a religion that's exclusive in that way that not everybody gets a chance. Sure. I'll, I'll explain that, but I just want to ask you a question. Did I resolve that tension for you about only perfect people go to heaven, but there are people in heaven because they've been made perfect by Christ? Did that at least make sense to you? Well, even in a perfect system, that still wouldn't be perfect because people don't get the chance to know Christ right, okay, in that way. Well, let me so, address that. But sure, is that satisfactory? I, I, I understand see how your I work arg- it together? I understand your argument there. Right. But there have been people for thousands, hundreds of thousands of years that have existed, or before Christ, sure. anybody before Christ. Yeah. I, I just think that it's a little bit silly then in a modern perspective to expect people to do these things that if there was a chance for those people prior to go to heaven, if you tell me no, none of those people went to heaven, all of their souls were lost because they didn't know Jesus, then you, I mean, I don't know. It just, all right. You got two questions going now. So I'll answer the how did people get saved before Christ by believing in the Christ to come. Abraham. What if they li- never knew about that? What if they were 10? Well, okay, I'll get, to that one a, I'll get to that one in a second. Okay. But people were saved in the Old Testament, for instance, before the cross, by believing in the promise. They maybe didn't have as robust an understanding as we get to have today, but they believed in a Messiah that must suffer for sinners. So early and by people, believing in Christ, they were beings, saved by Christ. Early human beings had to somehow have foreknowledge that there would be a Christ to come, a God to come, and they would have to have grace through that belief. No, that's a great great question. I'll just tell you biblically. What you do with it, totally up to you. God had a chosen group of people, the Jewish people. He made a covenant with a man named Abraham from Ur. He He promised him a land, a nation, and a seed. The land is Israel, the nation is the Jews, and the seed, singular, was yet to be revealed. The New Testament tells us the seed was Christ. So God gave a promise to a man named Abraham. Jewish people lived in this nation. They were to be a nation that was a light to lighten the Gentiles. 
They were in the Mosaic Covenant. This was God's evangelism program. If these people obeyed, God would bless them to the max, and every nation would want to know who is their God. So God was evangelistic long before Jesus in proclaiming there is a Messiah to come. There were prophets, they traveled, they proclaimed. But to get to your big question, what about people who never hear? Here's what the Bible says. The heavens declare the glory of God day after day they speak without saying a word. In other words, creation preaches God exists, and most people reject it. Everybody is without excuse because everybody knows God exists. The most basic intuitive fact on the planet is recognizing there is a God. You would never believe this microphone happened by itself. You shouldn't believe that you happened by yourself. You shouldn't believe the universe happened by itself. God right now is preaching to everybody here, look up, I exist, I made the place. It is, it is the most basic understanding we can have, and most people suppress it because they don't want to submit to God. So the people who are on Boingo Boingo, they don't listen to the sermon he's preaching through creation, let alone what a missionary says. But, okay, well, okay. It's, I, I don't really think we're look, getting anywhere look, with this. Well, it's a hard question, Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I'd love to satisfy it for you, but there aren't good people in these other places. And God is reaching out to them, preaching through creation, and I believe if they will respond like, okay, there's a creator, I'm not right with him because my conscience tells me so, I believe that God will get them a preacher to tell them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hmm. All right? I know that didn't satisfy No, it's just such a limited view of human history, but thank you. Bill Gates went to a shopping mall in Seattle, and he gave 10 people a million dollars each. And America responded by saying, hey, you should give a million dollars to everybody at that mall and every other mall in the country. Not. Why? Because Bill Gates doesn't have to give anything to anybody, nor does God have to provide salvation for anyone. Anytime God saves anybody, it is a magnificent gift of kindness. Wretched, check out wretched.org, W R E T C H E D dot org. And if you want to find out more about that one, it's on our YouTube page, Why Doesn't God Save Everybody? That's what it's called. And it's going to be most controlled here on Truth Be Told Radio. And what I'm going to do for you next is I'm going to play a song. This is from Shailene called Stand Up. Hey, yo, they said it was over, man. They said it was over. But it ain't over. We just getting started. Yo, 7,000, we all at. Let's go. Stand up, stand up. If you truly love the son of man, trust. Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive. And his fame is going to spread across the land. What's up? Stand up, stand up. Does anybody love the son of man? Trust. Jesus is the king, so his people we will sing And forever stay worthy is the land What's up? Surprise, no surprise, I'm back in your section With Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection More power than gravity, his knowledge and strategies Confound the academy, bow to his majesty He paid sin salary, took our blame on Calvary Those who love his name, spread his fame is the policy All eyes on the mattress, price of his sacrifice That's why 
sacrifice and rise right. in the afterlife. What, did we forget about the holiness of God or something? Did we forget that God owes us a rod or something? See the snake bruise when Christ came to save dudes who hate truth. The gospel is not fake news. Our debt is sin, the gospel sweeter than it's ever been. Ain't nothing changed, let us in, we got the medicine. It's still human emergency, the serpent attack. You think Jesus can't save? That's alternative facts. Stand up, hand up. If you truly love the Son of Man, trust. Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive and his fame is going to spread across the land. What's up? Stand up, hand up. Does anybody love the Son of Man? Trust. Jesus is the King, so his people we will sing and forever stay worthy is the land. What's up? Stop and listen to my composition. Lots of rhythm, but not tradition. No kind of different. But God's consistent. No contradiction. My proposition. Through crucifixion, he mocked and crippled his opposition. It's not some fiction. I'm spitting. The Son of God is risen. And my incentive for godly living is I'm forgiven. Jesus came to unlock the prison. And through the Spirit, he brings a new birth like an obstetrician. At times I listen. A lot of Christian hip-hop is missing. The proposition is my suspicion. We drop the mission. Not to this, but the Word of God is it not sufficient. The doctrine is that the gospel fix is our shock condition. God the Spirit supplies conviction through proper diction. Against the backdrop of our tradition, the gospel glistens. A squad of Christians go out and witness that God's commission. Cause Jesus Christ got the top position, no competition. Stand up, hands up. If you truly love the Son of Man, trust. Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive and his fame is going to spread across the land. What's up? Stand up, hands up. Does anybody love the Son of Man? Trust. Jesus is the King, so his people we will sing and forever stay worthy is the land. What's up? They want Jesus in the background like elevator music, but we gonna celebrate him, relegate him, we refuse it. They hate Christian hip-hop, I peep myself. They say we too redundant, well let me repeat myself. What I gotta say almost feels too real to stay. Sit back and feel the weight of what a real estate. Cause yo, Jesus Christ got me in the real estate. I'm purchased property, I feel like I'm real estate. If the Father wasn't gracious, no sin in him. Again, he came straight blameless, no sin in him. Again, nothing's been the same since, no sin in him. Again, fakers lack his fragrance, no sin in him. This is not the picture in a frame to steal Jesus. Nah, we serve the rock, the harder than still Jesus. So how we gonna be silent, let the world steal Jesus. When the world and its trends pass away, it's still Jesus. Then, up, hands up, if you truly love the Son of Man, trust, Jesus is alive and his people he'll revive and his fame is gonna spread across the land, what's up, stand up, hands up, does anybody love the Son of Man, trust, Jesus is the King, so his people we will sing and forever stay worthy is the land, what's up, Describing you, I really don't know where to start Can't start at the beginning Cause you are before the beginning Way before the beginning And this fallen world's distorted opinions It was just the holy trinity Ruling from infinity Glory blazed tremendously Loving one another endlessly Billions and billions of years ago Outside of what we know as time Nobody else was there to know But Lord, here's the thing that blows my mind As long ago as that was 
long ago as that was You have not changed, Lord Oh, Lord, Lord, Lord As long ago, as long ago As long ago as that was You're still the same You have not changed What can that mean? But my God is immutable Immutable, you are beautiful You never change, you remain the Immutable, beautiful You never change, never change Forever you reign, you remain the same You will never change, you will never change Immutable, beautiful You never change, never change I was thinking just the other day How you reign supreme by far Not just because of what you do But simply because of who you are like you in existence, you are God and you need no assistance Even though we show you resistance, you sent Jesus to close the distance That existed between God and man, according to your sovereign plan We changed many times in one lifespan, I've changed even since this song began Lord, I'm so glad that you're not like us, all that you do will certainly last You are the rock that we can trust, shows us back in eternity past As long ago as that was As long ago as that was You have not changed, Lord As long ago, as that was, you're still the same. You have not changed. What can that mean? But my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful. You never change, you remain the same. Immutable, beautiful. You never change, never change. Forever you reign, you remain the same. You will never change, you will never change. When I think about my ups and downs, all of my inconsistencies, all of my idiosyncrasies, still you pursue relentlessly. At times I wonder how this can be. Surely it's because of the cross. When Jesus paid the full penalty and bore the burden of sin's great cost. I'm saved by grace and faith in God. I look to Christ and I trust He died. So even though I'm being sanctified, I can't be any more justified. His work is finished, that cannot change. And with this knowledge, I am free. Forever this grace, it will remain because of what happened on Calvary. As long ago as that was. Long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord. Oh Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same. You have not changed. What can that mean? But my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful. You never change. You remain the same. Immutable, beautiful You never change, never change Forever you reign, you remain the same You will never change, you will never change Immutable, beautiful You never change, never change That is Immutable by Shailen And we'll find out more about him, go to Shailen Okay uh, lampmode.com, L-A-M-P-M-O-D, excuse me, I said it wrong, L-A-M-P-M-O-D-E dot C-M, and that's Shailen spelled S-H-A-I-L-I-N-N-E, O-C-N, lampmode.com, L-A-M-P-M-O-D-E dot C-M. 
That's his record label. And next to Bill Fay something from Goldfish. Here we go. Before the throne of battle. Friends with the VI really. Bye for now.